You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, Brazilian tie. Normally, we don't start the show like this, but I got a surprise for you. Uh-oh. It's episode 100. Mm-hmm. And this is my gift to you. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the Two and Out CFL Podcast. Now they have to kick it out, and they do! Every week, Travis Curra. Does anybody still care about this podcast? And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Are you kidding? This is unbelievable! Ready, set, hook! Brazilian Tide, what's your review? This is the official high point of my week. <laughs> Your week? That's it? Yeah. It, well, I mean, I was pretty hungover Monday. Still wasn't at 100% yesterday. I pulled my back out on Monday driving my truck, so it kind of didn't go all that well. But today, I mean, after that, I don't know how I can't be in a better mood. <laughs> of course, it is episode 100. We have a big show today. Marshall Ferguson, the CFL draft guru. He writes for CFL.ca. He takes care of the morning show uh, over in Hamilton for TSN Radio. Charleston Hughes, one of the newest members of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, will be joining the show later on as well. And... I think you wanted to start a new segment, Brazilian Tie. You wanted to maybe see if uh, two and out listeners could find you a new job. It 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 wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. <laughs> Does your boss listen? Because that would not be good. I don't think so. Okay. Would he care? Is he the type of guy that would care? I I I want to think they would care. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you have any sort of, I don't know, requirements for this new job? Where does it have to be located? Things like that? It can literally be located anywhere within Canada because I still don't have my passport. Oh. <laughs> so you can't work outside of the country. That's all. <laughs> uh, preferably inside. Okay. And yeah, yeah. preferably no no traveling. Okay. Like for the job. Like once I'm there, it's fine. But after that, I don't want to leave. Okay, okay, there we go. We have narrowed. And I'm really good with spreadsheets. Just ask Travis. You're my number one. You're my number one uh, reference. You'd make a pretty good secretary. I, I don't know how to take that. <laughs> I'm hitting on you. Um. <laughs> Administrative assistant. <laughs> also today, I don't know if you're playing HQ trivia, friends, but. Today, they're giving away $250,000, so we're going to have to play as we're doing the show. And if I win two hundred fifty k live on this podcast, I'm going to freak out. Let's go to the news. In the Huddle with Karan Tai on the Two and Out Podcast. We do start with some sad news and the stats that James Quick Parker put up are absolutely incredible. Obviously, there's more to the man, James Parker, than football, but he has passed away at the age of 60, played for the Edmonton Eskimos, and played for the BC Lions, and definitely one of the greats at defensive line, for sure. And uh, Glenn Suter said it best today when he said he he changed the position. Um, There was a reason why his nickname was Quick. Um, You know, and when players... When your peers are giving you that kind of uh, 
recognition, that means you did something something right for sure. In 1984, he had 26 and a half sacks. Is that any good? <laughs> Serious question. Do they even dish out half sacks anymore in the league? I don't know if they do. I haven't seen them in the last three years. We've been looking at stat sheets. Yeah, so 26 and a half. That is absolutely incredible. He is one of the greats. No, Johnny Manziel in the CFL. It looks like it could still happen. Uh, he did work out the other day, Texas A&M. I guess all 32 NFL teams were there looking at him, and he did say, if nothing in the NFL comes up, yes, I will go play in the Canadian Football League. Should we make a new policy on two and out not to say his name until he shows up at a training camp? No, I don't think so. I think... Because a lot of people are tired um, of it. <laughs> oh, I'm one of them for sure. Uh, him just come out and say, I'll go play in the CFL. Well, you better be willing to you know, make some concessions on your salary then. Yeah. Because yeah. you're not going to get what, what, you think you're, what you think you've earned at $500,000 a year. It's not going to happen. And if it does, Hamilton's going to be in a lot of trouble in other areas. So it's not like you're going to be on a, that good of a football team. The Rough Riders uh, made another signing for their defense, John Ojo, and this is a big signing for that secondary. He was with the Eskimos. I think he ended up winning Rookie of the Year that year. They won the Grey Cup, but now he is a Rough Rider, and he is coming off an injury, but big guy, and he is a game-changer. For him to play, he obviously likes playing in that Chris Jones system because he's returning to Ryder Nation. Yeah, I think that's a huge aspect of it. I think him being familiar with that system uh, gives him the opportunity to thrive. The only thing that worries me is that he hasn't played uh, a lot in the last two years with the injury and then yeah. going down south. So it, I think it'll it's going to be rest versus rust, and you know it, I hope it doesn't take him long to shake it off and. Like you said, with Chris Jones being there, I think the familiarity will help out a lot. Of course, it was CFL week last week in Winnipeg, so there is so much news to try and get through here. The CFL pledges $3 million to amateur football in Canada, and I think this is the absolute perfect way to grow the game and is a good story that needs to be talked about. Absolutely. The the CFL knows where their bread's buttered. They know that they need Canadian players, and you're not just going to get kids that, you know, all of a sudden start playing grade 11. You need to start at the bottom and, you know, get kids interested and work your way up through the amateur levels and get through your high school and then college. And, you know, the better Canadian talent that you can create, and especially if the CFL is going to help create that Canadian talent, it's going to make the game that much better. This season, the CFL is going to be dishing out a new ball. It is slightly bigger than the ball uh, they've been using. Uh, <laughs> like, hardly. Hardly. Yeah, but but it does that mean they bring back our balls are bigger? They could, because, I don't know, what is it, a fraction of an inch bigger? It still counts. Either way. Well, I mean, <laughs> let's not get into fractions here. This is not a math podcast. They are keeping the white stripes. I know fans got up in arms when that was proposed last season, but there is uh, the new leather, the same leather that the NFL uses, so quarterbacks and players will be able to uh, grip the ball better. And I mean, yeah, got to get your hands on one of those bad boys. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean... New leather, it's always better than worn out leather. Just, you know, maybe I don't, I don't get the feel thing. Like, it's bigger, so it's going to feel different regardless of the leather they use. But, I mean, if that's how they're going to 
Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? If that's how they're going to justify it, then so be it. I don't think it'll make that big of a difference, but it, it looks like it's going to be a really nice ball. Proposed rule changes happened at CFL Week as well. They got together. They recommend changes on blindside blocks, expanding the definition of spearing, and eliminating low blocks by receivers. I don't think fans have any issue with that at all, and they're also bringing this in. They propose that illegal contact on a receiver no longer should be subject to coaches' challenges. Also, they're proposing uh, to review potential touchdowns automatically without you know having to ask for it. It just streamlines and adds flow a little bit to the game here. But there was a lot of comments last season that fans are getting pushed away because they're challenging stupid things like illegal contact. But now you're going to have to live with the bad calls. You can't just sit there and say, oh, officiating sucks. I can't watch this game anymore. Going to have to live with it. <laughs> well, I, I get, I totally understood um, the being able to challenge the illegal contact because it changes the play. Because so if there is illegal contact that's not called, then you're going to have to throw the ball somewhere else, right? Because mm-hmm. like, it, it'll be away from the play. However, that's what a progression read is for a quarterback. Being able to see that that's not an option and looking away for another option for your second and third, your underneath routes. So I I have no problem with it being there. I, I get it, slowed it down. But this way, it just it's going to be more football. Um as for reviewing potential touchdowns, I've I've been saying this for the last two years. If it's close, just call it a touchdown. Because, because then it they're has gonna, to be they're reviewed. They're going to review it. It's a scoring play. They're going to review it. And then it's done. You take you take it out of the coach's hands. And they don't have to waste the challenge. They don't have to risk a timeout anything like that. But now, but now what are you calling potential touchdowns? Anything near the goal line. I guess, but now if a team goes, if if a team gets stuffed three times in a row, are all three of those plays going to be reviewed? <laughs> they might be if they, if they get close, right? Like that's what I'm like. Yeah, it, 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 this this is a double edged sword, really. Like it, it could go, you could go either way. But I, I, but like I've been saying for the past few years, when we go to football games, when it's close, I've always said just call a touchdown and let the booth review it, and then you'll get your call. And it's done. And then, you know, you're not waiting, you know, to the last possible second for the coach to throw his flag, you know, not having to worry about timeouts. It's just done. Get the call right and move on. Um, this potential touchdown thing, it's going to, it could create some gray area and it could be worse. Who knows? I guess we won't know until the season starts, but it, it, it's a little sketchy, but I, I do like it. It looks like the Calgary Stampeders are bidding on the 2019 Gray Cup and we'll know in the next week or two if it will be held in Cowtown. A lot of people unhappy with the way the stadium was in 2009. We sit here next year will be 10 years later and the same old stadium. So I don't think stadiums really matter when it comes to this Grey Cup anymore. If a team's going to bid, they're going to put a good package together for the league. Yes, they're going to go there. There's no legal issues with McMahon Stadium. It's still running just fine. So I have no issue with back-to-back Grey Cups in Alberta. And I get it. The stadium's old. I'm not a big fan of McMahon Stadium. I've been there. You know, when it gets busy, it's busy. Yeah, it does. Um, but all these stadiums that you go to for Grey Cup, they put in temporary seating. So 
everything's already kind of getting overloaded a bit. Winnipeg was brutal. It was the worst. I'm just going to say it. That was the worst experience I've ever had at a Grey Cup. And it's it. granted, the best one was Regina, and those are the only two I've been to. But... Like it was, our seats didn't exist. You know, they yeah. had half of the concourse blocked off and all that stuff. I get it. McMahon's not the ideal spot, but you know, Montreal, you can't go to the Big O. You don't want to have it at McGill. It's not big enough. You don't want to go back to Toronto already. You don't want to go back to Ottawa already. Winnipeg just had it in fifteen. Regina in thirteen. They got a brand new stadium, but nobody's bidding on it. Yeah, BC is looking at selling the team in the next little while. They're probably not going to get one until they sell. So if Calgary's going to step up and host. Let them host. What, what do fans want? If nobody's bidding on this, then what? We're just going to not have one? Yeah, exactly. you got to live mean, with Calgary. You, you, take it, you take it with a grain of salt. You, you knew this was going to happen at least one more time because it's been nine years since they had one. And like I said, oh, my God, HQ Trivia, what classic 80s TV character was an alien from the planet Melmac? Alf. I'm going Alf. 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 And he ate cats. Uh, and, and like I said on Twitter, to show up to the game right. like an hour and a half early, get your 50-50, yep. buy a beer. It's November. It'll stay cold. Maybe buy two. Might Don't go freeze. to the bathroom, and uh, you'll be okay. <laughs> if you, All you got to do is just buy a stadium, pal, and you won't have to worry about the lineup at the bathroom. All right. There we go. See? <laughs> the 2018 class for the Canadian Football Hall of Fame has been unveiled. Frank Costantino, Paul Brule, Tom Hugo are part of the class. And HQ, which of these is not an example of a redundant acronym? <laughs> Pin number. Oh, not. Pin number. Pez. Pez Pin. dispenser. Pez dispenser. Pin number. No, because number is in pin. Personal. Oh, which is not a redundant. Are, are you out? We'll see what I happens. couldn't even Pez play because then I can't hear Whoa. you. Okay. I, if I played, I couldn't hear you because Scott's too loud. Uh, you're not playing? No, because so- I couldn't hear you. Sorry, man. So we're splitting it if you win. Okay. <laughs> well, this one off the rails. Good start to 100 with the new intro. <laughs> Scott Flory is also going to be uh, in the Hall of Fame. Offensive lineman with the Montreal Alouettes. Is that stat right, that he played in eight Grey Cups? Yes! In 15 years, he played in eight Grey Cups. He's the CFL's Tom Brady. Yeah, that is incredible. Baron Miles also goes in to the Hall. Seven years with the Alouettes, five with the Lions, 66 career interceptions, and he holds the CFL record for 13 blocked kicks. That is a huge number. That's ridiculous. (laughs) It is. Like, wow. Uh, Hank Elisic, uh kicker, with seven Grey Cup titles. He was also a part of Edmonton's dynasty, and his story is unbelievable. The Eskimos signed him when he was 17. So he, while he was in grade 12, he would finish school, take the bike, go to Commonwealth Stadium, his teammates would help him with his homework. Can you imagine winning Grey Cups when you're in the 12th grade? I don't know if I'd want football players helping with my homework. Hey, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. All you need is 50%. Hey, man, C's get degrees. <laughs> also going in is Brent Johnson, 
11 years with the BC Lions, 89 career sacks, a Canadian, maybe the best Canadian defensive lineman uh, of all time. And while we're on the topic of the Hall of Fame, it looks like it's going to be relocated to Tim Horton's field before the season. It looks like it's going to be awesome. I got to get out to Hamilton and check out the the hall and the setup they're going to have there. Well, this also maybe kickstart the litigation process a little quicker because they're going to be adding more stuff to it. It should, in theory, You're right? Like I, I, I just get so tired of reading everything that's going on there. It's just, it's just I don't understand half of it anyway. Because pretty big words, but. It's nice that uh, they got it. You know, it's it's gonna be located where CFL fans congregate. It, it's not, you're not gonna have to go to another site if you're gonna go to go to Hamilton. You can you can make it a day trip and go to the Hall of Fame and then go to the game or vice versa, depending on what game time is. So I think it's a great move by the CFL and the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and, and the and the Tiger Cats. I, I I think Tiger Cat fans are just tired of hearing all this stuff about the stadium as well because it's exhausting they're not able to host a gray cup it's already been 22 years this november Mm -hmm. and they've also said that they're not going to bid on cfl week or try to get cfl week there until the stadium stuff is done when nothing happens at the stadium but i think they're using it as as leverage right i think is the idea behind that little tidbit Hey, we're not going to bring uh, this awesome event to the city that your economy is going to benefit off of because you're not going to help us with this stadium. That's what they're doing. Oh, yeah, that's what I think it is for sure. All right, now let's welcome uh, Marshall Ferguson to the show. does a lot of draft coverage for the CFL on CFL.ca. It just covers the league in general, does a great job of it, and he does the morning morning show in Hamilton, uh, TSN Radio, and he was in Winnipeg for CFL Week, doing a lot of work for the CFL Combine. Just a great job. They've done a great job of really promoting these kids over the last couple years. I I got a question for you, Marshall. Do you sleep? Uh, uh, When I was in Winnipeg, not a whole lot. Uh, Oh, right. Yeah, whether it was because we were enjoying being around all the other people who work at the Canadian Football League, or if it was because we were working hard, it was a bit of the two, but yeah, it was, uh, it was a jam-packed weekend for sure, and uh, coming back to Hamilton and doing the morning show on the Monday after flying back in, that was fun, and uh, it's been been hectic, but it's been fun. I always enjoy doing this kind of spring combine tour thing. What were your overall thoughts on uh, how Winnipeg did for hosting of uh, CFL Week? It kind of seems like other cities are getting excited about hosting it in the future. Yeah, and I honestly, as I was there, I was naturally comparing it kind of back to what happened in Regina the first time that we were there last year. And and my biggest takeaway from the entire event, I think, was um, that Winnipeg, that conference center, opened a lot of people's eyes. And I know there was the conversation about the turf, which was a bit of a non-existent issue. If you've seen the video I put up on Periscope and all that, um, it, it was slower at a couple of different tests, obviously. But I think the idea of taking the event itself to different places is a really important concept because... Everything that we do in the Canadian Football League, and I'm I'm a pure football guy. Like if it's if it's football versus marketing versus branding versus exposure, I'm always going to be in the camp of football. But I understand that football by itself cannot solely exist. It's the same reason why um, the things that I do, whether it's on social media or on radio or television or anything else, I understand that I can't sit down and talk to people about 
you know, the intricate natures of a Jerry Glanville defense that he's bringing into Hamilton because half the people don't give a damn. Right, like, right. Can't be, it, we can never be singularly football. We have to find ways to invite different types of people, different ages, different groups, different ethnicities into football. And so uh, I think that Winnipeg did a great job of not only hosting that event in the given ground that, that the CFL decided to put it in, but also they did a great job of opening a lot of people's eyes to where could we put this down the road? Like, could this go out east before we actually have a team out east? Could this go up north if we wanted to? And, you know, even if it was a smaller version of it that wasn't the official CFL week. I think there's a lot of possibilities there. But I like I liked Winnipeg as the host. I thought it was, uh, it was kind of your classic get-together, a bunch of CFL personnel crammed into every hotel in downtown, cross paths with everybody, have great conversations, and I thought they did a good job of hosting. So you do a great job of covering the CFL draft and marketing our Canadian athletes. Uh, you bring up marketing. Is that kind of a challenge, getting people to care about this draft and everybody that's eligible for it? Yeah, no doubt. I think that's that's uh, naturally part of my my kind of mo when I go into draft season for the last two years that I've been doing this for the CFL. I never really thought that I. I mean, it's like everything else I've done since I've been in sports media. I never really thought I'd be the guy that would be pounding my fist on the table saying, "Look over here, please, everybody, look. It's good. It's good quality football. It's it's not that dissimilar from what's on NFL Network for nine hours a day for four days four days straight. Like we need to look at this." Um, but yeah, that's, that's part of the challenge, no doubt, because our draft, as we know, is there's two ways, in my opinion, that people can look at our draft. One is to say that it's completely pass backwards and that it is completely offside and that nobody wants to look at this draft or look at this combine, because if you look at the first round draft picks of last year, nobody made a huge impact. And I'm of the mind that, okay, you can say that, but the CFL draft is not always about the first rounders like the NFL is with quarterbacks. It is. The CFL draft is about guys who get put onto a roster, who get an opportunity, who develop out of a positional group, and when they get the opportunity in front of them to be on special teams or to contribute in whatever way they can, if they take that opportunity and they grasp it and they win the day every day in practice and in games, which sounds very romantic, but I mean, really, that is the goal of a first-year player in the Canadian Football League. If they do that, then they get an opportunity, whether it's by injury or by getting just the chance of becoming a better positional player, to develop into a better overall part of a team. And, and to me, I don't think that we should punish the CFL combine uh, invited athletes or punish the CFL draft year over year because a guy isn't going to be a starting quarterback in week one like you're going to see Sam Darnold or Josh Allen or Baker Mayfield this year. Like They're different conversations, but because they're different doesn't mean the CFL conversation, in my opinion at least, is worse. And I think we should celebrate the guys that earn an, op- an opportunity and a right to be able to play and wear a CFL jersey rather than ignore them because it's not what we're used to with the NFL conversation. So that's kind of where I'm at with the CFL draft and the CFL combine is I know that when I'm drafting, uh, you know, regional linebackers, like if I'm going through and I'm looking at guys like, you know, Matthew Nettle out of Acadia, is there a good chance that Matthew Nettle is going to make the CFL stick and be an impact player? Hell no. Like that's, that's not realistic. That's not something that's probably going to happen, but if I'm looking at Matthew Nettle or anybody else that you want to insert there as a name from a regional or a national combine, if they get signed, I get excited. Like in week four, if there's an injury, and I see on a press release that the Calgary Stampeders have signed player X, and it's some random guy, and I go, where do I know that name from? And then I look it up and I go, oh, I've done all of his draft research. I know who he is. I know right. what his athletic capabilities are, and I know what his statistics were, and I know what type of player he is then all of a sudden I can look at it and go, okay, that's a good fit. And as a football analyst, that's a good feeling to know 
that when a guy gets brought into a team, you understand who he is. How much stock do GMs and coaches put into the combine numbers? Uh, I'm sure you've seen uh, Jimmy Ralph made the, I guess it looked like a tongue-in-cheek comment on Twitter saying he went undrafted and that the combine numbers can be overrated. That's what he put in the hashtag. Right, yeah, I did see Jimmy's tweet. And I got to say, too, I, I poked fun at Jimmy on radio in Hamilton when I saw that tweet because I saw it live on air. Yeah. Um, and I laughed because Jimmy was invited. Like, <laughs> he was invited to a national combine, and he didn't go for personal reasons. So um, I completely – I know he's just poking fun at it, and it's all in jest, and it's the same with me and Jess because I've talked to Jimmy before, and he's a great dude. But I laughed for two reasons. One, he was invited, and he was a highly respected athlete because he was an All-Canadian in 2015 – he took 2016 off, and I happen to know he's a great tester. That's the second thing that's funny. Like, wow. when he was at the East-West Bowl, he was a great, great tester. So when he's like, numbers don't matter, and I never got invited, and I went undrafted, he went undrafted because I think the Argonauts were trying to act like they didn't know who he was, even though I know they knew who he was going into the draft process. And he was also a great tester. So um, to answer your question, though, about how scouts and general managers feel about the combine, I think there's a lot of, of shaking of the head and, you know, none of these matter. It's about the tape. It's about the tape. And at the end of the day, it is about the tape. But I have learned over the last two years that the best way to be able to um, evaluate a player coming out of a CFL draft is to be able to combine all of the available data. If you're not doing that, then I just don't think that you're doing your job. And so the way that I use the information from the combine, and I think there was a really great example of this at this year's combine, guys, is that when – I see our Kellyus jacket of St. Mary's run routes on film. I saw him as somebody who was not going to be the world's fastest straight line player, wasn't going to win the 40-yard dash because he's playing in the AUS. He's not bursting and running away from people. He's athletic. Don't get me wrong. He's just not running away from people the way that Christopher Amo or Dan Peterman or Dan Vandervoort or Nate Bahar were last year on film. So I didn't expect a fast 40 time. Now my question was, because of the way that our Kellyus jacket was used at St. Mary's, uh, I thought to myself, you know, he's involved in the screen game. He catches a couple of quick little slants, and they throw him bombs over the top against less athletic defensive backs. So I looked at the change of direction drills on tests being the shuttle and the three-cone, and I thought to myself, is Arkelius Jack going to post poor times in the shuttle and three-cone because he didn't run all that great of routes, and he wasn't asked to do much when it came to route running when he was in the AUS at St. Mary's. So he didn't throw down the greatest shuttle in three-cone, and I was kind of like part two of the weekend. I'm like, okay, well, let's see how he does in the one-on-ones. And sure enough, in the one-on-ones, and anybody who's watching the live stream on CFL.ca knows this, I was banging my fist on the table (laughs) saying, why are we only throwing flies to Arkelius Jack? I can go in the parking lot with Arkelius Jack right now and throw the ball a quarter mile Mm -hmm. and throw it over the mountains like Uncle Rico, and it's not going to teach me a damn thing about the guy, because if I'm watching him on film, that doesn't tell me anything. Oh, good, he can catch when he's run past everybody. Nice. What I wanted to know is, could Arkelius Jack run a double move? Could he run a 15-yard comeback? Could he run an 18-yard dig route to the middle of the field and, and burst and get past the defender? I needed to know that stuff. I wanted to know that. And finally, they called an 18-yard comeback for him, and what happened? He didn't burst out of it. He didn't cut well. He didn't show that athleticism, and the ball almost got picked by Godfrey Onyeka. So the reason I tell that whole story about Arkelius Jack is I try to take, and I think this is how evaluators use it as well, take the game tape as the first step, then take the testing as the confirmation or the denial of what you have as the preconceived notion of the player, and then look at the one-on-ones at the combine to determine whether or not 
the film that you have and the bias that you had going in of what you thought that guy was is true or not. It's a very complicated way of basically saying, does everything match up or not? Because if I see like Marco Dubois, who's tall and lanky and athletic, if I see that guy post a very bad broad jump as an athletic special teams cover man, something's not right there. Mm -hmm. Because he shows a lot of explosion on game tape. It matched up. He had a great broad jump. And when he was doing the special teams drills, he was dominating guys. So that matched up. And that's, I think, how the, the scouts try to use all that combine data. You kind of touched on it, but like the non-football specific drills, um, how how do coaches look at that and GMs look at that as it translates into football? Like, is it because it's just tough when you're not going up against another guy? Yeah, no doubt. And it's, when you're trying to run a forty, this is the other thing that we all have to take kind of into evaluation is when you're running a forty uh, by yourself. You know, it's not the same as racing a defensive back down the field as you're a receiver or. Uh, if you are you know, doing bench press, if you're a receiver, that's not the same as stock walking somebody and trying to blow them off of the ball at the start of the play mm-hmm. or something like that. So I think there is a, a notion of competition weighs more than just the testing as well. I think that's important for people to realize. And so um, when you have Sunday come around and we put the pads on for guys and you get a true evaluation, I think that that's such a benefit for the CFL. And it's something that only we do. And I'm thankful that only we do it because – it, we get a better chance to understand the player. And I think that's the whole point of the CFL Combine. Like, I honestly, if anybody ever, and I'm knocking on wood here in my place in Hamilton when I say this, if somebody were to ever get a serious injury or there was some type of liability here and they decided, you know what, we can't put guys in pads and helmets anymore, for me, that would ruin the Combine because that is what makes our Combine great. The testing stuff is great. I can talk numbers until I'm blue in the face and tell you how great a broad jump was and how that's going to apply to on-field or the 40-time of Dan Peterman, what it means and how he'll be used in his first year. Can he win special teams reps? I can blab and blab and blab about all that stuff. But again, going back to the last answer I have for you, my favorite part of the weekend is thinking that I have an assessment of the player from watching them on film throughout the winter, comparing that to the numbers that we get, whether it's against an individual like you're talking about or not and then seeing whether or not those things are true when they actually put the pads on. It differentiates our league from everybody else, and I would be super, super sad if that ever changed because I think the the competitive level of a guy in a one-on-one drill and on a special teams drill, even though they're only getting a couple of reps, that's when we really find out, and that's when I think the scouts find out what that player is about. Is there a certain type of prospect that a combine benefits, kind of like a player that's on the fringe, uh, you know, maybe he's not the, ranked the highest, but he shows up and he blows up the combine and all of a sudden he shoots up the draft boards or maybe a quarterback. Yeah. I know Noah Pickton ran that awesome 40 and everybody's like, whoa, maybe this guy can do something more than play quarterback. Yeah, man, I love Noah Pickton. I, my goal this whole weekend, I basically, you know, I wrote a note to myself before I went into the combine. I said, what are my objectives this weekend? I say, I need to find out this about this player, that about that player. And then on the bottom of my page with five stars next to it, I wrote, make sure everybody knows Noah Pickton is really damn good at playing football. Yeah. <laughs> he's the smallest guy that you see on the field. He's actually the smallest quarterback, I believe, other than Danny Brannigan that's ever been evaluated at a CFL combine. Wow. Uh, but when I watch him play in games, I'm just thankful that he's a part of, of U Sports for the last couple of years. 
And I'm thankful that he was given the opportunity the last couple of years to go out and test and show what he's about. I also love that he went out, put the bench up five times, which, by the way, for myself, at 6'3", 215 pounds, is something that I was barely ever able to do. Uh, But he did that at the tiny weight that he's at, and then he just racked it. And he's like, yeah, I don't need to bench anymore because I know that you guys don't give a damn if I hit 15 or if I hit five. It makes no difference. Wow. But but to me, because honestly, that was something that I was always told when I was training as a quarterback. They said, if you're benching too much, it's a bad thing because your shoulders are rolling forward right. and your throwing motion. They said, we want you doing twice as many pulling exercises as you ever do when you're pushing. So when Noah Pickton put up five and racked it, I'm like, this kid gets it. Like, he understands exactly mm-hmm. what is being asked of him. But uh, to answer your question about what the combine really favors in terms of a position or a style of player, I think you have to look no further than Paul Kozachuk this year from uh, the University of Toronto. We all understand the hard times that U of T has fallen on for a while now. They don't get a lot of exposure. Mm-hmm. I think if you were to pull the average person out there in Canada and say, hey, did you check out that U of T game over the weekend? You're going to get a weird look. Like People don't just like randomly <laughs> check in on the Varsity Blues. But uh, he is a great example of a position, which is Will Linebacker. Uh, and again, he played middle linebacker a little bit at U of T, but in the CFL, he is a Will Linebacker. Uh, so he is a great example at that position, at that weight, at that height, which is tall, you know, around 210 to 220 pounds athletic, can run, is very good on special teams. Those guys, if they have any type of pass rush skills or pass covering skills, which they have to show off on the Sunday, I find that Will linebacker special teams, tall, lanky, athletic, fast linebacker, the combine is built for those guys. It's not built for Norval McLaughlin out of Indiana State, the fire hydrant of a defensive tackle. It's not built for uh, you know Justin Lawrence, who's the, the short, uh, you know, wide load of an offensive lineman from the University of Alberta Golden Bears. It's just not built for those guys because they're never going to stand out with what they do. Even Brett Wade. I mean, Brett Wade had a great combine, I thought, not necessarily testing, but when he put the pads on on Sunday. But nobody remembers Brett Wade as being a star of the weekend because the combine just doesn't really show that. What it does show for somebody like Paul Kozachuk at a UT is that he has the ability to be able to do a little bit of everything, whether it's pass rush, coverage, or being able to just cover on special teams. And in his game film, again, going back to the film, his game film does show that he has the ability to be able to cover and be all things on special teams as well. So I think the combine really does favor that type of player. I think it was something like, I think the top four players in the scouting bureau did not take part in the combine. I know Peter Godber yeah. was, was sent home. There's all kinds of circumstances that I guess contribute to something like this. Why would guys not take part? Yeah, so this was, this was pretty much agent-driven, which, by the way, right. Peter Godbear, if, if you don't know the stories behind the guy who's the agent, then uh, Peter Godbear needs to do some more research on who he is. I think we know who we're what. talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, like, I don't mind using his name by name either because everybody knows the point at this point. Hardaway, like, I don't know why dudes are signing with Hardaway because at some point, and it might be this year, people's draft stock is going to start falling dramatically. As soon as the team knows that, that they're at, that athlete is signed on, with that agent, people are going to start walking the other direction and saying, thanks, but no thanks. Maybe we'll talk to you at the back end of the draft when we know that because we drafted you late, your stock might not be as high. But it's, I don't understand why people would ever want to put themselves voluntarily in that situation. Uh, Peter Godbear, basically the CFL started implementing this, not rule, but this, uh, this kind of memo to all of the athletes that are invited to a combine that you can either uh, be invited to the combine, come and do everything or most of everything, or you're not coming. And it's because 
we don't feel the need to fly you in when we could invite somebody else in and you could just do interviews by Skype. Because Peter Godbert came with the intention of doing interviews, not telling anybody, and then last second, oh, you know what, I forgot to tell you guys, I don't want to be here because I'm not testing. And the CFL said, what, you said you were going to be testing with us throughout the weekend. He said, yeah, well, my agent said it's not wise. i got a pro day coming up, and so I'm going to just not do the testing. And immediately I talked to some of the guys in the football ops department for the CFL, and they were furious, not because they were angry at, at Peter Godbear. They were angry that they couldn't get another player in to be evaluated. Right. There are congregations that you could open up the combine and say, let's bring in 90 guys, let's bring in 15 players at every position. But then you start to water down things, and then the events start to get long, and then it drags. I think it's the perfect length right now with the number of bodies they have in that spot. And so to think that they could have had, and I use Justin Lawrence because to me he was the most fun. You might have heard me say over the weekend, he's the most fun that I had watching game tape of an offensive lineman in this class. He's not the most talented offensive lineman. There's Darius Soranko and Ryan Skeevier out of Calgary. Uh, you know, there's Mark Cordy, well understand, out of Alberta. There's uh, Dakota Shepley out of UBC. Those guys are all going to be drafted higher. They're better prospects. But I like Justin Lawrence's tape because he was just so sound. His helmet was always on the right side. He was never in the wrong spot uh, when it came to run blocking. He was sound in the pass game. He snaps well when he gets in his center. Like, there's a lot of things to like about him. And I all I could think when Peter Godbear in that offensive line group bailed out, and I never even got to see him or talk to him because he left before I could even get a chance to, um, was, man, how great would that be if another Justin Lawrence was allowed to be here? Because another Justin Lawrence should have been allowed to be at the Combine to show me and to show the scouts, you can play football. Because the whole point of the Combine is for guys who are a little bit off the radar, perhaps, not just to go out and be able to test well, but to show that they can play football. Because if you can play football, then at some point, as I say in the middle of the regular season, somebody's going to call you when there's an injury. And because Peter Goddard came and wanted to do interviews and not test, another Justin Lawrence was not invited to the combine. And because of that, that other Justin Lawrence that could have been there will no longer get a call. And I think that, that makes the guys who care about the quality of the CFL a little bit upset. One of the things that fascinates me about, I don't know if this happens in any other sport the way it does in football, but is the interviews. And Rashari Henry did his write-up on CFL.ca, and he talked about going into the Saskatchewan Rough Riders interview, and Chris Jones is in there, and there's food, and there's candy. and <laughs> Like, this must be a tough weekend on these kids when it comes to that side of things, too. Yeah, no doubt. And I think every room is so completely different. Right. That's part of the charm of this event. I actually was told uh, by somebody who is uh, an athlete at the Combine. I don't want to say who necessarily, so I don't smoke them out. But um, it was one of the guys who was invited to the Combine who did an interview with a team. And uh, they asked him, if a woman was at a bar and threw her drink at you, would you hit her? Oh, wow. And, <laughs> and when he told me that he was asked that, I immediately thought, okay, this team is playing mind games trying to get you to show your frustration or trying to get you to answer something incorrectly or trying to question you about domestic violence, which yeah. is an incredibly important topic, as we understand, in modern in modern sports coverage, in modern media coverage, in modern everything. Entertainment doesn't matter. So they were basically playing on the theme of the day, which was if we ask this guy about a hot-button issue, how does he respond and what is his natural, genuine reaction to it? a shocking question? And this player uh, answered very calmly and said, I would walk away. To which the team responded, no, 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 but you can't walk away because she's got you by the cuff and she's holding you and she's punching you in the face and you're just wearing it. And he said, I would stand there and wear the punches until somebody pulled her off of me. I'm not going to do anything. 
and then they moved on to the next question. But that's an example of, you know, Rashari Henry's story. I read it to you guys on CFL.ca. It was very, it was up and down, and it was crazy, and there's all these different things happening, and all these people you're meeting for the first time. Those stories of the questions that are difficult or where they try to incite the player, I find to be probably the most intriguing part of the weekend because it seems like not just in the CFL but in the NFL, people are in a constant battle to try to ask the most outrageous thing, to try to see how angry or confused they can make a player to test their mettle. Um, I'm not a huge fan of that because I don't think that actually proves anything. But at the same time, football is about mental fortitude and being able to think of things on the fly and come up with answers. And so when that player was asked that question, uh, he dealt with it very well, I think. But uh, it, it was a little shocking to hear that that was a question in the CFL because I don't think there's any answer that's acceptable other than the one that he gave. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, at, as this is now done, you've seen everybody go through their their events and interviews are all done. Is there a player or two that their stock has improved after this combine in the CFL draft, or is everybody kind of where we thought they would be? No, I think there's been a ton of movement, to be honest with you guys. I uh, A couple of names that come to mind, I mentioned Paul Kozichuk going up the boards. Uh, I think that he, he came from the regionals, we got to remember. And being a regional player that tests well and gets invited doesn't usually lead to you looking good in the one-on-ones. I thought he did, uh, both pass coverage and, and, and uh, pass, uh, pass coverage and, and blitzing as well. So, Kozichuk, I think, helped himself a lot. Dakota Shepley, except for the one whiff that he had on Brett Wade, I think he, he was exceptional throughout the entirety of the weekend. I talked to Dakota Shepley off-camera, off-air for about 20 minutes on Saturday evening after he bench-pressed, and he just struck me as a really impressive guy on top of being a dedicated athlete and student, and I just I, I think he's the whole package. I think he's honestly in that conversation to go first overall, as he should be. But uh, but he raised his stock even further, if it's possible that he could. Dan Peterman, I knew personally, but I didn't think Dan Peterman was going to test like that, even though I knew he was an athletic freak. I didn't really see that coming. Um, and then, you know, Mark Chapman improved on his high stature already. I think what was a really good weekend for him. Uh, you know, who actually did surprise me a little bit was Micah Tice, the linebacker out of Calgary. Uh, who I know you guys know from out there in the West a little bit. And, and mm-hmm. he he put up one of the best testing scores when it came to uh, the Combine specifically uh, throughout all of his tests, the average of all of his tests. And so uh, I was I was really impressed by that and factor that in with his special teams ability and the fact that he's kind of a Swiss Army knife. So uh, those are just some of the names. I think, you know, there's going to be lots of stuff I'll be putting out over the next little while that'll be – um, you know, who's up and who's down and why they're there. And I've got a mock draft that's supposed to come out next week as well. And I'm putting out the the combine uh, charts for every guy from the national combine and the Western regional by this weekend. And so uh, there's going to be lots and lots of stuff to try and evaluate here as we get closer to the draft. We know to find all of your uh, material on CFL.ca. Marshall, thanks so much for coming on the show. Where else can we uh, find your stuff? Yeah, so I got. Uh, I'll be putting the combine stuff up on my website, which is basically the uh, the only place that I could find that could actually reliably host a bunch of different charts and graphs. So that's right. the reason I have it. It's not not self promotion. Everybody's like, "Man, that guy is a loser. He has no website." I'm like, "I had nowhere to put my stuff." Um, so I ended up just getting a website from Wix. Hey, it's eighty bucks a year. Why not? Yeah. Um, so I ended up doing that. But yeah, you can find me on MarshallFerguson.com. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter. Uh, if you really like videos of Huskies, uh, you can go to my Instagram at TSN underscore Marsh because all I post is videos of my dogs. Because <laughs> I think Instagram should be a fun place, not somewhere to go serious like we're covering sports. So there, yeah, that's pretty much it. I- I'm going to do that right now. 
<laughs> yeah, we thought it'd be funny. It's okay. A little hit and miss. We take some comedic hacks with my dog. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Great job on the podcast. Big thanks uh, again to Marshall Ferguson for coming on the show. Now we move over to Charleston Hughes, recently traded to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in February 1st. He was traded to Hamilton, and he was there for, what, two hours? And then went over to the Rough Riders. So, Charleston Hughes, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, no problem. How was uh, CFL Week in Winnipeg? Uh, it was all right. It was pretty fun. Yeah, I enjoyed myself. You know what, it, it kind of seems like CFL players, they're really a part of like this, I don't know, brotherhood, and it's a really tight-knit group, and it, it looks like all you guys have fun getting together uh, in a time where you're not really playing at the moment. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a time to trash talk each other, and <laughs> you, get to, you get to see what, what guys look like and put the names to the faces and stuff, right? That's really cool, and I, I think the fans really like the access that they get to the players during CFL week. Is that something that took a little bit getting used to when you first came to the league? Because I, I think in Calgary, didn't some fans like bring cookies to practice and things like that? I mean, yeah, I mean, it takes some getting used to for sure, man, but it's one of those things where like a lot of the fans, you know, they kind of express their feelings about, you know, having that close contact with us and you know, you can tell they really appreciate being, you know, upfront and personal and getting to hear stories about, you know, each other that they normally don't hear, right? You've been in the league uh, since 2008. So what about the CFL and maybe Canada surprised you when you arrived? It was, I mean, it was, it was different, man. You know, just being in Canada and, you know, not really leaving Michigan that much and, you know, in the beginning of my career coming to Canada, it was more of a culture shock. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about some American players. I know Johnny Manziel coming up, and yeah, I think June Jones from Hamilton said he's got the potential to be the best CFL player of all time. Is there anything that you wish you would have known before you came to play in the CFL? Um, I think the only thing I wish I would have known was the rules. Right. It took a while. It took a while to adjust and, and get used to the rules of the game because you coming up as a as an American player, you really don't get accustomed to the rules until maybe your second year playing because you you seem to make more mistakes, right? Yeah, and that, and that being said, like as a guy that you've, you've been in the league for a while now, you you've played, you you know all the rules. Well, I mean, there are still some rules that even. Uh, the Canadians don't know, but uh, when when American players come up and the younger guys, do you, do you take it upon yourself to to maybe take them under your wing and help them out? Um, yeah, I mean, I help some of the younger players every chance I get. I mean, you can't. I mean, I'm still playing too, right? So I can't help everybody. But. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I. I was at a Tim Hortons the other day, and, and I was wearing some Rough Rider stuff, and there was a Stamps fan in there, and he goes, you know what, you you guys got a great player in Charleston Hughes. It sure seems like Cowtown really embraced you as one of their own. I mean, yeah, man. Like, the, the day I got traded, you know, I went out there the very next day and just to, to meet some of the fans and, you know, just kind of meet and greet and mingle, really. And, you know, a lot of people showed up, and, a lot of people are really excited about me being there, and you know what? I feel very, very wanted in that city. 
So, yeah, you were traded to Hamilton in February, and I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was two hours or something like that. You get traded to Saskatchewan. Did you even get time to kind of process that you were going to be a Hamilton Tiger Cat? Um, not really, man. I mean, the way I, the way I feel about the situation, the minute I walked out of the uh, Huffnagle, John Huffnagel's office, uh, I knew before he knew. Oh! <laughs> So they were just trying to get you out of the West then. Yeah, so he 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 tried to get me out of the West. Ha, ha, ha. I'm back <laughs> before you even know it. <laughs> it's kind of funny because it seems like a, a lot of players, especially that haven't played in Saskatchewan, they say Ryder fans are just crazy, you know, whether it was Taylor Field or the new stadium, they're just chirping at you to no end. And you've been a part of the the rivalry for 10 years and maybe Saskatchewan's number one rival for a little bit there. Was it a bit weird putting on that green and white for the first time? Yeah, yes. It's, it's a bit weird, but the minute I put it on, I felt like I've, I've had it on the whole time. All right. <laughs> I, feel, I, feel, I feel good wearing all white, wearing green. So, I mean, it feels good. Now that you're wearing the right colors, um, how has Ryder Nation welcomed you? Has there been any like uh, really standout instances that have made you feel like you're re- you're at home here in Saskatchewan? I don't know, man. I mean, the the, the one thing that I can remember is I'm at a autograph signing in Saskatchewan at the at the store, like the team store yeah. in the mall, and a guy went out of his way to drive from God knows where. And he brought me a Ziploc bag full of barbecued, chopped up venison. Whoa! And, and Whoa. slapped it on the table. And I think he was answering like a tweet that I put out there, saying that you know I, I like to I like to eat venison. I like to eat deer meat. I'm, I'm gonna go hunting when I get to Saskatchewan. I'm gonna go fishing. I'm gonna you know get the full on experience. And he brought me a, a bag full of it, and it was good. Are you a big outdoors guy? You like to go hunting already and things like that? I'm from Michigan, man. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know if you don't know what that means, you you better go uh look at National Geographic or something. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it means Ohio State sucks is what it means. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had much time to gel with your new teammates or is that something that kind of happens during training camp? I know you got to be pumped uh playing next to Willie Jefferson. I mean, yeah, most most of the time I was with either Willie Jefferson or uh, Duran Carter, so I know it. I enjoyed, you know, chatting with them both and, you know, talking some football talk, and they just as excited as I am. Now, uh, you've got two Grey Cup rings. Uh, you've gone through a couple tough Grey Cup losses over the past couple seasons. How do you use that experience when uh, you join your new team? I mean, really, tell them, tell them what I know. I mean, you can only tell tell somebody exactly what you know. And I mean, I've been to five Grey Cups and I lost two back to back. And I know exactly the reasons why we lost, and you know the situations that we were put in, where I know we would have won if we made better decisions. So it's a uh, it's really unfortunate that it happened that way. But you know what? Everything's a learning experience, and even getting there, I mean, is a is a blessing. So. I mean, to come to a team like that and to to be that guy that 
been to so many great cups. Now I got to go there and kind of show them the way of how to how to get to the great cup, right? Does being traded uh, light that extra fire under you heading into the season? I mean, man, like it's unfortunate that I got traded. I mean, as long as I've been with Calgary, I would have thought I would have retired at Calgary Stampede, especially because it wasn't because I was I wasn't playing as good or. It was it just boiled down to having to make a big decision and you know what? Kudos to us having to make that, that big decision. Um I've always kind of thought about playing somewhere else, saying, Hey, it, I think it'd be cool to finish your career somewhere else or play for another team, but I didn't think it was gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I noticed last season when you lined up against Derek Dennis the game in Calgary, you kinda you had a great game, and after that, he kind of moved to left guard, and now you're going to be going against him again in different colors. You must have July 28th against the Stampeders circled on your calendar. I mean, they're on the calendar. I mean, I've talked to I've talked to the coaching staff. I've talked to the players, and I think they're more worried than I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, you talked about trash talking in CFL week, and that's kind of been your thing. You're a great trash talker. You've said some things in the, the media. I think during the Great Cup week last year, you said Ricky Ray is the easiest quarterback in the league to sack. Uh, do you say these things by design? Are you trying to anger the other team, or does it just kind of come out? Well, it just kind of come out, man. You can only, like I said, you can only tell what you know. <laughs> uh, I'm just telling honest statements and and letting people know exactly how it is. I mean, what what kind of guy would I be if I jumped on uh, and, and and told a lie? <laughs> yeah, that would uh, you. Nobody would like you. <laughs> <laughs> so, who's the toughest quarterback to sack? Then the the toughest quarterback to sack. Um, all the ones I haven't sacked yet. <laughs> <laughs> so that means Bo Levi Mitchell is on your list then. <laughs> there you go. Now you thinking. Uh, we're just going to ask you a few more questions, some quick hits. Just give us maybe one word, and then uh, we'll let you go. You have 99 career sacks. How many does Charleston Hughes get in 2018? How many? You only said one word. one hobby outside of football basketball you've got control of the ipod in the locker room before the game what kind of music are you playing pour some sugar (laughs) on me (laughs) oh my god okay i have to tell a quick story the college volleyball team uh, just went to nationals from Lloydminster Lakeland College. They ended up with the bronze medal. That was their warm-up tune. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite superhero? Superman. Favorite wrestler? Hulk Hogan. You get to pick the restaurant the boys hit after the game. Where do you go? McDonald's. <laughs> nice, yeah, nice. Now you're speaking our language. Hey, what are you ordering there? 20 piece chicken nugget nice nice oh we just became best friends (laughs) best road stadium to win in 
Calgary now. <laughs> <laughs> what would Charleston Hughes be doing if he wasn't sacking quarterbacks? I'd be a stripper. <laughs> <laughs> to pour some sugar on me, that'd be a sock. <laughs> So I saw about a month ago on Twitter, you and your daughter got some Oreos, and an entire row of cookies was missing. You know what? That pissed me off. That would suck. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your guilty pleasure snack when you're treating yourself? Oreos. <laughs> all, all, all cookies. All cookies, really. I could, me and, between me and her, we can sit down and crush a whole box in one sitting. <laughs> That's awesome. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Yes. You get to come back in another life as any animal in the world. What do you come back as? A cat. Nice. Okay, big big game Saturday. We know you're from Michigan. Who you got? Michigan or Loyola of Chicago? <laughs> I like Michigan, man. I like Michigan, but Loyola... They've been putting it on people. <laughs> so Sister Jean, man. Stick with them. They're hot right now. <laughs> That's awesome. Charleston, uh, thanks so much for calling in. Uh, good luck this season and then kick some ass with the riders, all right? Thanks, man. Appreciate it. And that does it for episode 100 of the Two and Out CFL podcast. I thought we jumped the shark at about episode 15, Brazilian tie, but we're still well, that's kicking. That's generous. <laughs> Hey, we're still kicking, and you're in the new intro. Yeah, so I mean, we got to go at least a hundred more, <laughs> so that I can, I got to at least tie John, right? <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure that I've already beat him in in recordings. I think you have actually, but he's been on every intro, so it does, does that count? Oh, that's true. Right, you really dropped the ball on that one. I'm sorry. It kind of took you forever. And I lost HQ trivia, by the way. So. Oh, no, I don't I know so that was like half an hour ago, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the draft is coming up on May 3rd. Maybe we'll put out a preview show before that, but have yourself a good Easter long weekend. And if you're listening to it after Easter, hopefully you had a long weekend already. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, follow, like, Facebook, and Twitter at 2 and Out CFL, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.